Steve Weaver is Director of Research, Insights and Education at Think TV. There's been much discussion about the decline of linear TV, the rise of streaming TV and closing that gap between the two. Steve's job is to crunch the numbers and tell us how we're travelling. Kim's job is to paint the brightest picture for the medium. So fair to say it's an audience on the move. Um, Kim, there's a, a, welcome along. Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, but before we sort of get into some of the data that you've been releasing this week, it's probably worth giving us a little bit of context on how you got to this point and, and, and what you're trying to achieve with this exercise. Hi, Tim, and look, thanks for having us on. Every six months, Think TV does the hard number crunching for the industry. What we try and do is sit down and look at audiences, how they're watching, what they're watching, what they're watching on, how long they're watching for across all parts of the industry. And we do that number crunching and we put it into a document and then we send it out to our database of about 11,000 people. And what we know, we've been doing that for about five years, what we know is that that piece of content is well received. So it's our largest and most downloaded piece of content. And Steve and I, as we travel around Australia, quite often see that content popping up in charts all over the place. And, and we love that fact that the industry use it. What we haven't ever done before, though, is an outreach program to say to the broader industry, hey, this data is available free of charge and it'll save you somewhere between two hours and two days, depending on how good you are at math. And so we provide it as a service to industry. And it's ultimately about looking at how audiences are watching video content, but also about how that behaviour is changing. And there's a lot written and a lot spoken about where audiences are going and what they're doing. This data relies on OSTAM's data, which is the BPM data and the measurement panel service, which at present is the you know, transparent audited currency that is used for anybody that's trading in this area. So background is this deck, like five others, is available to anybody that wants to have a look or is interested in the content, and that's really what we're going to chat about today. It's a service to industry more than anything else. Well, Steve, let's dive in and, um, and welcome along as well. Um, Steve, uh, I mean, I know it's not the first time you've done this exercise, but this time round, what hypothesis or hypotheses did you enter into this project in? And um, were they proven or disproven? Uh, thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me as well. Um, as, as Kim mentioned, this is, uh, this is a report that gets done every six months and it's really just, uh, well, as... Uh, as we've mentioned, it's a it's the statement of facts of uh, of the television uh, consumption uh, arena. So uh, this six months, uh, like every six months, is always you know you're opening the window of uh, of just how TV viewing is is shifting. Um, yeah, and as we said, we we rely on the Oztam data. We rely on the establishment survey, which is a very large survey that gets done to to establish the base of of which the ratings are produced. Uh, to just you know get in under the hood and just see whether we can understand a little bit of what's going on uh, and help inform the industry. Well, let's dive into it. Uh, where should we start? I always start. Uh, I always start with the penetration numbers and the usage numbers, just to to help give a sense of what structurally might be going on, especially around uh, usage. Um, 
one of the things or a couple of things that I've I've taken note of this time round, and and I might add, you know, whenever we're looking at this particular data set, it's always an aggregation of data over the over the half. So we're looking at you know half one versus half two of, of last year. But uh, but television as a whole, uh, linear TV uh, as a as a whole is is sitting around a monthly reach of around twenty point three million, um, which is still a <laughs> a sizable audience and uh, and quite strong in comparison to some other platforms' uh, monthly reach. So, Well, let's just, before we, we go beyond that point, it's worth nailing down a couple of definitions as well. So the number you referred to, which is, uh, so the first half, it was 20.5 million uh, reach for linear TV. This the, the second half, as you say, 20.3. Now, the definition of linear TV would just be useful for the listeners. Yeah, uh, linear TV just refers to anything that's coming in um, either via a, a subscription TV service like uh, the Foxtel service or via um, uh, a television service that's coming via aerial. So basically anything that's not... Uh, anything that's not streamed. Not streamed, not an Ethernet delivered service. Yep, that's right. Perfect. So, um, so yeah, so that's obviously 20.3 is million is, is, um, still a very high number then. Um, and, um, I, I know the other thing that you kind of looked at around that kind of, uh, sort of penetration data and usage data was the kind of devices. Something that kind of leapt out at me from your numbers was the, I suppose, not surprisingly, the number of people who are recording TV via PVRs is going down. That, I suppose, is a technology which has peaked and come out the other side. And the number of people with what we'd call smart TVs, but internet-capable TV sets, is going up. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Tim. The, um, you know, the PVR was a, was a great piece of tech. Um, but nowadays with uh, on-demand services, as the name says, it's, uh, it's, it's there whenever you want it. So... Uh, the need to record continues to to drop off uh, via those devices, and increasingly, having a connected TV set and uh, and the capability then to tap into a service like VOD and watch whatever you want whenever you want continues to rise. So the connected TV set penetration number is up again this half to sixty one percent, and uh, as is what we refer to as internet capable tv sets which is which has gone up as well and the difference between the two an internet capable tv set uh, by which I, I should mention is a penetration rate of around 71% this half there's a lot of tvs out there that are internet capable but when you know when the consumer takes them home plugs them in plugs in that coax cable attached to an aerial they they do already get a great uh, signal for tv and and hence, they don't end up using the internet uh, connectivity. So it's uh, there's a higher proportion of sets out there than there are connected TV sets. But the connected TV set, as its own, is a, a penetration rate of sixty one percent, which is a, a fairly sizable number. And then, Steve, um, uh, you've obviously also got numbers as well as kind of what we're doing with linear TV, where. BVOD broadcast video on demand either as live stream or on demand where effectively the viewer is activating what they watch what are you seeing in those numbers uh increases yeah we've uh we've hopefully everyone knows the uh the rapid rise of BVOD I guess the underlying number uh this year 2021 versus 2022 is around 11 percent um depends which way you cut it because 2021 we had a 
fantastic event called the Olympics, which uh, sent the the BVOD uh, BVOD universe into meltdown. The the numbers were so strong, but of course, for the industry, the underlying growth is probably what what is always needed to to understand uh, where to put your money for the following year. So eleven percent year on year. Once we strip out weeks thirty, thirty one, and thirty two out of both years, just to just to get a feel for that growth. Kim, before we get off BVOD, and I think we'll keep coming back to it as well, um, how is BVOD being viewed uh, by the industry now? So there's a couple of things that are interesting about the BVOD numbers, which, to be honest, we've seen the way people are watching programs through BVOD change really fast, probably faster than we had imagined. So BVOD itself started you know, five years ago as an on-demand service, broadcasters invested in it, people watched it, and and it was growing, you know, it was in rude health for many years. What we've actually seen is an acceleration of that, but more importantly from an audience point of view is the amount of content that's being watched live. So BVOD is no longer a catch-up or an on-demand service alone. It is now because of consumer demand and because the technology is there, increasingly it mimics linear TV. So that live streaming number, and admittedly the last six months we would have had a good portion of sports and sports finals, which you know certainly wouldn't have hurt that number in any way, but the underlying trend and I suppose the structure of the way the viewers are watching is an increasing move to BVOD, but within BVOD, accelerated growth of live streaming. And we're seeing that happen, you know, period on period since we started paying attention about 18 months ago, uh, that that the future of BVOD is definitely uh, emerging into a dual pathway. So not just on demand, but certainly a stream service that the broadcasters offer the advertiser. Do you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. Something I don't think has been much talked about is my sense is that's been far more accelerated in Australia than in other markets so for instance you know i spent some time in the uk last year and a lot of the main broadcasters even itv at the time although i think they might have addressed it since were not live streaming their main broadcast content so do you do you have a sense of is australia the furthest advanced market in the world when it comes to live streaming of bvod do you know have you got have you got any sense of that I, I don't have any hard data on it, but I have a theory, <laughs> which is the experience is a good one and it's easily available and I'm already in the app if I'm the consumer sitting in the living room and we see some evidence of that with some of the co-viewing numbers that have cropped up in the latest report. Now, I was going to ask you about co-viewing because I had read the report and I wasn't sure what co-viewing was. I might let Steve be the be the technical expert on that, but my hypothesis is that because the experience mimics in almost every way um, the viewer's regular experience that they're comfortable with, that why flip out into different modes of watching when the technology and the experience is just as good? So I don't have any cross-comparison numbers, which is a really interesting question, but certainly the streaming numbers I've not seen quite that kind of movement in an audience in terms of growth over a short period of time for a long time. So we're, we're very 
we're very happy with the trajectory and we're looking closely at how we can support that. Co-viewing quite simply is uh, uh, sitting down and watching a piece of content with someone else uh, beside you, someone else watching as well. So uh, I think when the BVOD services were first launched, we all downloaded the app or, or went to the website. I, I think a lot of that viewing, or we know a lot of that viewing, was done on on your personal devices, whether it was you know PC, tablet, etc. But nowadays, uh, by far the the, sc- the dominant screen is the connected TV set. You know, circa seventy five percent. In fact, I think this half the number is seventy four point point six percent of of BVOD viewing is through is through the connected TV. So of course. That means generally uh, the large screen that generally lives in the lounge room uh, and as a result you're increasingly getting uh, people who are sitting down watching watching uh, together. So that's, uh, that's co-viewing. And that, that particular uh, uh, viewing habit has increased half on half uh, this time around by around 35%. So, yeah, to Kim's point, it's a... It's a it's, it starts to mimic sort of your traditional aerial delivered or, or, or cable um, delivered uh, subscription TV service in that sense where it's in the lounge room and you sit down and you watch a show together. Let's, um, let's get into the demographics then. You've been looking at um, viewing habits by both age group and also by gender. I guess not surprisingly, the biggest and fastest adoption for um bvod is kind of at the younger end of things and the people who are the absolutely diehard linear tv broadcast tv viewers are the in the older age groups um anything within that that's surprising i think the main point tim is is the adoption of the 25 to 54 um audience within bvod so uh, i guess when bvod first launched it was you know, certainly uh, always younger skewed, a, a lot of uh, ch- children's viewing done via, via those sorts of services, via the BVOD services. But increasingly now that 2554 bracket is really strong. And as you, you rightly point out, linear TV absolutely is uh, has a has an older skew. But if you're if you're a, an advertiser or an agency and you're buying across, you know, if you're buying total TV and you're, you're representing your client across both linear TV and BVOD, you get a very nice mix of audience profiles upon which you can you can build out your campaigns. And Kim, looking at those patterns, it, it makes me think it might not be that long until the broadcast television signal can actually be switched off. Um, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you care to have a guess on... Uh, how many years away we are from that? Look, if I knew the answer to the, you know, the digital transformation of the industry, I would probably go out and buy some stocks as opposed to, you know, share it on a podcast. But you make a valid point, which is it's growing. The market structure is kind of in transition. And like any good portfolio management approach, it is, you know, encourage the growth while making sure that you're, looking after your loyal customers. I mean, I mean, we know from a demographic perspective that um, purely linear viewers tend to be a little bit older. They've been with, you know, with the industry for a long time. So it's about managing the balance. I think it's inevitable that over time TV will move to more digital delivery. I c- cannot predict when. 
um, I would say n- n- no, no fewer than five years and probably no more than eight. But I, you know, I'm almost certain that next year that quote will appear somewhere and I will be 100% wrong. But I do know that the transition is taking place. And what we are seeing is that it is accelerating, particularly in that 25 to 54 kind of age group who will sadly in five years be, you know, five years older. And I doubt that their viewing habits in terms of the consumption of, you know, internet enabled television is going to move too much. But yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball on that one. Tim, that would be great. One of the things which really interests me is that in a fairly short time, so from the first half of 2021 to the second half of 2022, uh, we went from 54.7% of the population watching linear TV to 51.2%. So it, it, it feels like we're about to reach some sort of inflection point where less than half of people in any given week are watching television in a linear form as in it comes over the airwaves. So, um, do you think it's possible that here, you know, here we are in, uh, in, 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 Mar- in early March now, are we, have we hit that point now? Do you think? Do you think we've we, we hit it in the last few weeks, or have we got a few more few more months to go? What do you, uh, ha, ha, having just dodged the first prediction, Kim? I'll, I'll give you another chance at this one. Well, well I'm. I suppose I'm not surprised um, in the sense that I think about television as a suite of programs that people watch. So the way they watch is useful in so much as well, quite frankly, it limits or enhances how I can speak to them through targeting and through audience profiling and demographics. So I think there's a, I suppose, an unnatural fascination with linear TV numbers, particularly overnights, which to me is a demonstration of how things were consumed 10 years ago, not today. So the linear number decline makes sense given the BVOD number is growing. Um, I know it's not quite an apples for apples comparison, but we've done some analysis and the overall audience in a week is still very healthy, you know, point here or point there. So it feels to me a bit like, you know, alarmists will will talk about linear declines on a particular program at, you know, 8.07 on a particular channel, which is fine. People can review the market however they wish. But for me, I tend to look at it over a week. I tend to think about it in terms of what a campaign is, how a campaign works, which is, you know, generally not a single spot on a single night at a single time. It's a collation of those things. And if people are choosing to watch that spot in that program 20 days later or live stream through BBOD, or even seven days later, you know, in the morning while they're watching something while they have their breakfast. As an advertiser, my view is it's been watched and it's attentive, and I'm quite happy with that. So I think we need to rethink how we are reporting and talking about television to examine where the total audience is, um, because that's a better and more sensible expression of what advertisers are interested in. I suppose I do find myself wondering whether, and you're, you're, you're right, there's been a lot of coverage, lots in the mainstream press. They'll particular, they'll pick a particular show and they'll write about how the overnight metro broadcast number is 
down X percent on previous years. I, I suppose I find myself wondering though that, yeah, I totally get what you say that the, the, the real number we, you know, that would give us the biggest picture is the total TV number. Um, and it strikes that's kind of on the industry to get that number out there in as accessible a way as the Oztam overnight numbers are. Now I know that Oztam isn't run by Think TV, so it's not your responsibility, Kim, but it is owned by your shareholders. Um, so the fact that that number isn't readily available the next day, um, at what point does it just get embarrassing for the industry that we don't yet have that number or, or are we there already? Oh, well, <laughs> Uh, I'll take that one. I'll take that explosive hand bomb. Um, I, I think it's really important to understand that this is a $4 billion industry or, well, you know, let's call it four just for, for, for math's sake. Making sure that the way we measure those numbers so that we are accurately meeting client expectations but also company and broadcast expectations is really important. I'm certain that that number will be available by the end of this year and I know that all of the broadcasters in Oztam are working really hard to make sure that those numbers are 100% accurate. So as some sectors of the market, you know, would have liked it sooner, I would suspect that if we follow the adage, better to get it right than to get it right now. And it's Certainly tons of work being done to make sure that it's 100% accurate. And as soon as that is able to be achieved and delivered with confidence, I know Oztam certainly would love to have those numbers in circulation and would love to be able to enable and equip the industry to have the total TV conversation, which is also what the broadcasters want. So the short answer to, or the long, short answer versus the long answer is it is definitely slated for this year it is definitely being looked over twice with eyes dotted and t's crossed before it's released because the only thing that's worse than being late is being wrong let's um let, let, let's keep looking at the numbers because you know as 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 kim rightly says bvod is coming on as fast as linear tv is falling or very close um well that's the theory anyway steve you've actually crunched the numbers a bit um what do they actually show in terms of that closing gap uh yeah tim the, uh, looking at the voz data which is uh you know still in test um as as kim mentioned um uh if you just look at say half one versus half two which is you know not not an ideal comparison, but it gives us a feel for where things are moving. If you were to only look at those who are consuming linear TV, like they're only looking at television via uh, in a linear TV fashion, that period-on-period period movement is, you know, circa 800,000 audience. So it's it's a substantial decline, you know, three-odd three share points. But, but within that same VOS test data, you can see across the same period a corresponding increase in those who are watching TV via BVOD service only or soulless BVOD, that's increased by uh, 300 odd thousand. And you can see that those that are consuming uh, a combination of either linear TV and BVOD uh, has also increased at 489,000. Now, if you sum those numbers, you get a number that's 
almost identical to the decline of, of the linear only uh, figure. So while it's not definitive and, and, uh, and of course it's not yet public, but th there's certainly an indication that, that yeah, lin linear TV as a, as, a, as a soulless way of watching TV is absolutely uh, moving, moving uh, in decline. But correspondingly, those that are using a combination of, of linear and BVOD uh, is, is rapidly increasing. So in other words, I might, I might watch a tentpole show. I might watch live linear news and a, and a tentpole show on one of the, one of the networks or, or, or um, cable TV providers. But I, there's a bunch of people out there who, who may just only now use BVOD services. And, uh, and time will tell whether there's a... A, a net loss or a net gain, but certainly the, the period on period sort of indicates it's reasonably stable and that the decline from, from those just watching linear tends to be uh, balanced by those watching a combination of both linear and BVOD. Let's talk about genre when it comes to BVOD viewing, because I, I guess, Kim, some types of viewing really naturally lend itself to BVOD, you know, the sort of that, the, the, the piece of reality TV you heard everyone talking about at work that you missed, you want to go back to versus, I guess, news and sport you watch live or you watch not at all. Um, what have you been seeing in, um, the, the, the trends in BVOD viewing when it does break down into different genres? Well, it's it's a good question, and I think it's changing actually. Where we once thought of BVOD as an on-demand service, you know, we saw substantial amounts of drama, substantial amounts of entertainment, lots of kids programming, and certainly reality programs. What we are seeing as the viewing moves to more streaming and more live is sort of growth in areas like sport. And again, it's obviously what content is available as, as they consume it live. And so audiences are responding to that streamed sports offering on BBOD. We've seen growth in young men, certainly over the last half. And the key being the, the live element to that, presumably. Yes. Yeah, we, we believe so, yes. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting, maybe most fascinating to me, is that the content that is watched is largely produced in Australia. So while drama is definitely the domain and we certainly see things like Handmaid's Tale from SBS doing really strong numbers, if you look across the length and breadth of the top-performing BBOD programs, they're almost all Australian and they're almost all telling an Australian story, which to me is really comforting because it says that we as a group are genuinely interested in hearing and seeing our own stories over the last half, the exception was House of Dragon, and, of course, that is a giant program, a giant franchise. So it is unsurprising that that's been so well received. But if you look across the top performing even episodes, it's things like Love Island, Hunted, Farmer Wants a Wife, you know, The Block, Amazing Race, Home and Away. So there's a lot, and, of course, the World Cup, which obviously would have helped those live stream sports numbers. So I think it's a two-part story. One is... When it's on demand, we're certainly watching Australian content based on the data that shows us the top performing episodes. But as BVOD evolves into a dual pathway for consumption, we're also seeing growth in live streaming. And I 
And we see that coming through sport specifically, um, and you can see that in the numbers as well over the last six months. Yeah, it's worth pulling that out a bit. I mean, yeah, looking at some of those numbers you've just talked about, I mean, this is for a single app, you know, the, 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 the top episode. episode, as you say, love, yeah, Love Island doing 411,000 for one episode. Um, Handmaid's Tale, 733,000. I mean, that will be more than watched it um, on Metro viewing at the time. Yes. Um, you know, some, so some really big numbers. Um Actually, I'm, yeah, I'm very interested by that Handmaid's Tale number because it, it, you know, it, it wasn't a one-off. I mean, other episodes, you know, I can see the numbers in front of me, did 689,000 and 638,000. Um, what, what explains the fact that it was doing so much better as on-demand video than broadcast? Um, does that, and I know they're, um, you know, they're, they're not one of your shareholders, but, um, what what does that say about the strength of SBS's streaming service? I was just going to jump in and hear Tim and just say, look, at, I think it's more the strength of good content, irrespective of channel. Um, if it's good content, the audience will find it. And rightly or wrongly, uh, there's a proportion of, of viewing that gets done live linear and there's a proportion of viewing that gets done in, in catch-up, whether that's record and playback or whether it's via a VOD service. So whether it's Handmaid's Tale or whether it's, you know, an episode of, of, of Love Island, and in which case, or Love Island UK in, in, in the case of that particular show where it, it went out solace on, on BVOD for the UK version. So, there's, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that, that the broadcasters are looking at because when that content is created, if the user likes it, it, the user will find it. And, uh, and I think that's the beauty of, uh, of an on-demand world and, and certainly, a, you know, one that's, uh, one that's readily available to Australians. And Steve, as somebody who's obviously researched these numbers for a long time, um, would you like to see happen here what's happened in the UK where the Netflix numbers are now available within the rating system? So you could actually see, or, or I guess in the House of Dragon, where what we're not seeing in those numbers would be the numbers on Binge, which is the sort of Foxtel sister service. Um, would you would you like to see the system widened to include the standalone streaming services as well? I think the... I think the way to answer that from my perspective is the, the, the power and the beauty of, of, of the Australian television scene or at least the, the, the tradable Australian television scene is, is Oztam being, you know, fully transparent, audited uh, and, you know, and of high quality. So a lot of the challenges that, that um, the industry is always faced with with buying other platforms is, is, is that lack of transparency. So... You know, all, all's fair in love and war. If you if you want to all come onto the same metric system and and be exposed to the same auditing, then then that would be a great thing. Um, as to the numbers, I, I it would be fascinating to see. But as a you know, as a subscription service, I guess that's not necessarily their key focus. But it certainly it may be in the future to to bring in that additional revenue. Kim, do you think there'd be an appetite from your shareholders to, to welcome the likes of Netflix onto the Austam system? Well, I can't speak for the Austam shareholders, but I can speak for Kim Portrait, which my view is the more 
information you can provide that's verifiable and fact-based to advertisers, the better. And so, you know, this, the TV ecosystem is evolving. It includes people like Netflix now with their ad tier. I, I have no idea how that has gone, you know, depending on which publication you read, it's either the best thing that ever happened or a complete disaster. Um, and so that's why I don't comment. I, w- I would love to get a set of independent and verified numbers that show me what's happening because I think it's important to the industry. And just something else I'd be interested to cover off. Again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I spent some time in the, the UK last year where it just struck me as a viewer that there seemed to be much greater penetration of fast TV and by fast, free, ad-supported television forgot what the t was for a moment <laughs> um which which um which, which in other words that's the sort of lean back viewing experience where they just come onto the home and away channel and home away is playing all the time um and it, it is happening in australia so seven have got some channels 10 through pluto have um but my my sense is it hasn't quite taken hold in australia in the same way either from a audience behavior or industry measurement way is 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 that a fair observation yeah i think it's a fair observation i mean certainly um you know oztam is is busy um getting across it and, and dealing with uh, their shareholders to make sure that their their fast services are included i mean pretty much all 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 the broadcasters either have or are in the process of of building out those styles of services and i think increasingly to me from a behavioral perspective it it just it, it reflects it reflects good content or content that suits your genre or style of viewing, and so therefore it's just yet another way to consume television, total television. So yeah, you can go on demand and, and watch it, or if you're as you say, if you're a part of the home and away army, you can you can go onto that particular channel and uh, and look at back catalogue. Just shows that. You know, there's a thirst for good content or there's thirst for content that suits all shapes and sizes and you put it into an area where it can be can be uh, made readily available and, uh, and ad-supported and it's, it's going to find an audience. I agree with Steve and I think that it's an area of opportunity for us. And by that I mean a lot of the experience on VBOD now is I can watch back-to-back, to use Steve's example, home and away as part of the home and away army and that's a satisfying experience currently but it's definitely an area of opportunity to kind of reconfigure and curate that for areas of special interest i think we'll see certainly more experimentation in that area by the broadcasters and in fact they've said so publicly Um, it'll be interesting to see whether me sitting in front of uh, the screen watching back-to-back episodes will be replaced by me sitting back, having the back-to-back episodes played for me. So I'll be really interesting, something we should definitely, probably 12 months' time, we need to give it a chance for that behaviour to bed down, but it'd be an interesting thing to come back to. But definitely an area of opportunity and definitely an area of interest because, let's face it, those channels give you very engaged, very sticky relationships, you know, with consumers because they love the program. Well, we'll share in the show notes a link where you can see all of the data we've just been talking about. But for now, Kim and Steve, thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having us, Tim. Cheers. Thanks. 
Today's podcast was produced with the expert assistance of Abe's Audio. More soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.